You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. And now, over to your hosts. Well, hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. Uh, my name is Rusty. This is episode... Uh, 90-something. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually look and then went straight into the spiel. Uh, Andrew, how you going? Not too bad, being a Friday. Good, good. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're doing this on a Friday for reasons that will become obvious in uh, due course. No Greg tonight? Not as yet. I think he uh, may possibly be along a little later. Yeah, so tonight is a bit of a special night. We are going to be recording our read of our our audio book. It's not really an audio book. (laughs) That's a generous word. Well, not yet it's not, but it will be after tonight. Uh, of uh, Rodney Mays' Impact book. Uh, so that's all for our Patreon supporters. So probably roughly after, you know, a little while after this goes up, jump on Patreon and uh, you'll be, get to hear us read the Impact audio. I say read. Uh, read may be a generous term. Dictate. I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure Rod- <laughs> Rodney Mays is necessarily going to be too happy about it. But. He, I, I did tell him it was happening and he said it was okay. Yeah, I'm still not sure he's going to be too happy about it. No, fair point. <laughs> fair point. So we have had our uh, full equipment upgrade, or most of it. So hopefully this is sounding all right. Sounding yeah. right to you, Andrew? It does, but there's no jacuzzi in here, though, yet. <laughs> I said partially, most of it. Well, most okay. It. Patreon supporters better get moving then. <laughs> I, for one, uh, thank our Patreon supporters, uh, apart from, you know, Others in the podcast who may be expecting far more uh, are very appreciative of the uh, the offer, the help they've given us because, uh, yeah, new microphones, a new sort of desk and setup and some treatment to the walls. So hopefully we're sounding a little bit better. Can't do anything about our voices. They're still rubbish. Speak for yourself. Yeah, you're right. Craig's not here. Yeah, well, we speak for him too. <laughs> oh, good. So speaking of Rodney's book... Uh, we're going to be giving away a couple of copies. Now, the the timeline for this is coming up, so it's going to be effectively on my way for a little while, which we'll talk about in a moment. When I get back, we will be drawing on the next episode that we record. There will be some in-between episodes. Next episode we record, we'll be, uh, we'll be giving away that impact book. The way to enter is to send us an audio clip or video or something of you yelling out the word. Impact. That's the one. Well done, Andrew, in with the spirit. Well, you see, I can't win it. <laughs> so what? Yeah, basically. <laughs> why bother trying? No chance of winning it. Now, how are we going to do this? Are we going to um, sort of judge this as the three of us listening to them? Because obviously you presumably have listened to them, but Greg and I haven't. Yeah, or well, usual usual deal. You two can pick the pick the favourite. We can do that. We'll play them on the. We'll play them all, and and this. I don't think there's going to be a huge amount, but uh, I will be recording some at Darwin PRS, uh, which is in well, from the time of recording this is in a week, uh, yeah, a week under a week. Um, so probably by the time this gets up, it'll be in a couple of days. So if you are at the PRS or you are on your way to commuting there, which is actually highly likely, on a plane or driving for hours and hours and hours. That's only about thirty hours from here. <laughs> That's all. So 29 and a half is my record. I used to do it straight without sleeping. Yeah, yeah. It's by myself, it was good fun. Didn't do it by myself and uh, yeah. don't think I would have. <laughs> no, we'll see. I was 
really keen to get home. <laughs> uh, you got uh, motivation. That's a fair point. So yes. the you will be taking some entries there. So if you are going to be there, make sure you do. If you're not going to be there, jump on and send us that. You can just grab your phone, hit the audio button, and flick it through. Speaking of the PRS, the uh, the Darwin or the Night Force uh, Heat Stroke Open uh, in. Double S Double A Darwin is, uh, as mentioned, only days away from probably the time this goes up. That's uh, August seventeenth and nineteenth. Also on that same weekend is a Victorian Precision Service Rifle Shoot uh, at Castlemaine on the nineteenth of August. And then after that, the Practical Rimfire Challenge in Mount Gambier in South Australia is on on the eighth of September. And then the next PRS, uh, which I believe we can release the dates on, but no details yet is the 29th and 30th of September, and it's got an unusual name. But you can't release that yet. It's called the Mm Mm-hmm. But I probably can't actually put that in yet. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. The other thing on the horizon, although it's a fair way on the horizon, this is for October. Western Australian listeners, on Friday the 12th of October, uh, we'll be having a meet-up probably at Dirty Nelly's, sounds wonderful. It's an Irish pub in Perth. So if you are in Perth, come and have some Guinness and dance a jig. Or have some cool turkeys even. Mm, well, that's where we're going to uh, to end, end up for the evening, some cool turkeys. But yeah, over we'll be over there for Shot Expo. Uh, not exactly sure who's going to be there, but I'll be there and uh, I'll be having some drinks. So whoever else is around uh, is welcome to come and join me. That'll be great. Sounds good. We've got no new reviews on iTunes. Oh man, slackers! I know. That's all right. We uh, we're waiting for some some good ones to be written. There might be some interesting ones after the book reading <laughs> recording tonight. Yeah, fair point. We could uh, we could end up with some uh, very low reviews <laughs> or, or some six star reviews somehow. <laughs> Well, they can add, a, add an extra star as well, can they? <laughs> I think you just draw on with crayon. So if you are on iTunes and you don't mind what we do, please uh, write us a review. That would be sensational. Um, and that way we can translate it and and put it on our podcast in some other language. And make Greg read it. <laughs> Without his glasses. I wonder if he's going to bring his glasses tonight. I bet, I bet you he forgets. He, he won't. <laughs> We're reading a book and he can't. He won't bring his glasses. So it will be as though it's being put through a Google translator anyway. <laughs> you mean a rum translator? Probably bourbon for Greg. Mm, fair, fair enough. He's not, he's, not, he's not a rum fan. He does a podcast with a rum baron and he, he's not a, not a fan of rum. I don't think he hates it, but... It is can be an acquired taste. Mm, fair point. No, I'll, so. I'll give it a go. You know what rum goes well with? Anything. <laughs> I can't refute that, actually. You know what else specifically it goes well with? Um, enlighten me. Cigars. True, true. And those who are regular listeners will know that we are sponsored by Puro Trader. And Puro Trader, for those who are asking what the hell is Puro Trader, like Andrew, I, there's a vague recollection. Oh, you do we, remember? We did podcast only a week ago. Yeah, true. true. Puro Trader is like a an online cigar um, marketplace bazaar. It's a cigar bazaar. Yeah, probably I think your other description of it being eBay of cigars is probably a little probably more, more on the money. Like Puro Trader, from what I gather, run the, the site. Um, yeah. However, they don't actually sell the cigars. It's It's – 
individuals and companies selling on there as per eBay. Absolutely. And so, so if you are chasing particular cigars to fill the collection or if you're tracking down something special for a special occasion, uh, that is a really good place to uh, check them out. And you can find all sorts of things from all around the world. And because they're sponsors of us, we can also get you some special deals. So if you enter the code PSP1, you get 25% off the fee they charge to you know do the sale and that sort of gear. So that's not, uh, that is the code again, Andrew? PSP1. Good memory, I remember mate. that even without a prompting card. Yeah, you've done well. And there's actually a forum on there. So if you are new to cigars or sort of want to up your knowledge, uh, there is a huge amount of people there with amazing knowledge for people who do like cigars or want to get more knowledge out of them. How often would you have a cigar, Andrew? Rarely these days. Really? Yeah. Celebration sort of? Yeah. I would say when children are born, but that's more of like a commiseration. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, I used to, used to partake quite frequently mm. back in my military days. Mm-hmm. Um, cigar and scotch nights, mm. poker. But um, not for a while. It's one of those things I probably wouldn't mind actually um, getting a little bit more knowledge on what's going on in that world because I wouldn't know a good one from a bad one. But no. It's probably the best place to learn. The so. next time we talk about Puro Trader, which is P-U-R-O Trader.com, next time we talk about them, I will uh, bring up the speed on the cigars we had at the Ignition Custom Winter Classic in Bucken. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll, I'll tease you for that one for the next episode we record. So check it out, guys, PuroTrader.com, uh, if you want to find out more about cigars to go with your rum or your whiskey or your fortified trousers or your wild turkey is all the things we have in front of us. Fortified trousers is very, very delicious. I bet. Mm. Little update on the PRS build that I'm putting together. I believe I've chosen an action. It is. Curtis I Custom, I think, wasn't that's, it? That's right. Looking at the Curtis Custom. I haven't chosen which model exactly. I'm finalising details down. Uh, the reason I've gone with that one, it's not it's sort of, you know, we, we narrowed it down to a few last time. I, I, I had to choose one, so that's the one I've chosen. I like the idea of the 60-degree bolt lift. I haven't used something like that extensively before, so may as well, may as well try it out. As, yeah, Paul Reed's uh, videos and information on that particular action have been very good, and I like the, the format it's in, so I'm going to go down that path, I believe. I'm not, uh, not every man and his dog is running one, so... Mm, this is well. I'm, I'm, I'm going with a creed more. Or so. Yeah, I was about sort to say fifty-fifty on that yeah. sort of hedging my bet. Something that everyone uses in action, no one really uses a lot in this country yet. Yeah, I think I think that will change. You know, as the supply increases, and you know, people there's a lot of options out there, mm. and I think you know people will take a little while sometimes to work out what's what's good and what's what they want. And if you start actually shooting in some PRS shoots and shooting well. A, people probably accuse you of bias, but also, uh, <laughs> you know, it, 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 people do tend to notice what uh, what successful shooters are using. So. I would have thought it would go the other way with the revenge. Possibly. <laughs> Rather than a bias beneficial uh, scenario. Mm. Well, so, I mean, I didn't imply that you were going to be officiating and and shooting in the same event. No, I but, know, I yeah. know, but all these who are officiating probably just getting their own back on me. One day. Good One point. day we'll be there. Good point. <laughs> Good. We had a message come through on Facebook, a question from Darren. 
and he is asking the following. If I have found an accuracy node and have access to quick load and a chronograph, is it worth investigating alternative powders to see if I can find something that fills the case more than my current powder? I think it will help lower SDs and ES, but really not sure. Any thoughts, Andrew? Well, we did cover this in the last podcast. No, we didn't. Oh, that's right. We didn't. Yeah, that, we had a podcast. We intended to cover it in the which last we, podcast. We did actually cover in the last podcast, and the podcast decided to stop recording 20 minutes into the episode. Okay, so rehashing for those that didn't hear it, which is everyone. <laughs> I heard it. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. Um, we didn't really come up with anything conclusive there, did we? <laughs> good good thing you brought that up then. <laughs> mm, mm. Um, I seem to remember we, we came up with a, a couple of suggestions. Yeah, look, I think certainly they're, I don't They're think, all Greg's though, weren't they? That's why we're struggling. Yeah, we're just floundering without his guidance. Um, I think is it you know what he says is it uh, is it worthwhile investigating? Well, certainly by all means. I, mm. you know, I, certainly as long as you're keeping yourself within safe limits and whatnot. But um, mm. you've got nothing to lose. I mean, particularly if you've got access to a, a variety of different powders. You know, whether it be your mates are running other stuff, so you can go you know trade a bit of powder and just try it out and things like that. Sure. And um, I, you know, certainly got nothing to lose, but. I think we did discuss that there was a little bit of evidence that would suggest possibly a case uh, powder that fills the case more can provide more consistent SD and extreme spread. Generally seems to be the consensus, yeah, that the, yeah. the higher fill rate the better. Yeah. I mean I, there's probably a few reasons for that. I mean if you've got a powder that's not completely filling the case and, uh, you know, so when, when you're sitting, uh, you know, ready to shoot, it's not necessarily going to – if the powder is not filling the case, you can get – I don't know how, the, how to describe it. I don't know, mate. You're, you're the one putting the words out. Probably not consistent uh, amount of exposed powder to the primer flash, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. Whereas if the, if the case is relatively full, then it's effectively burning into the same amount of powder each time you, you fire, regardless of the, sort of the orientation of the rifle or how the powder is sitting. May well have something to do with it. Mm. I mean, it also have something to do with matching the correct burn rate as well, because you could take you know, something like a three hundred eight, for example, and fill it up with fifty BMG powder. Yep. I don't think you're necessarily going to get. Well, you certainly won't get the velocities you want, but I don't think mm. there's any guarantee you're going to necessarily get mm. consistent velocities either. So, I think if you pick a powder that's within the right burn range, mm. one that will be a little bit less dense I guess so will actually fill the case more than you I guess it's possible yeah certainly I, th- I think that it's one of those things and I'm pretty sure we, we we did say that if your current setup is working well Darren uh run with it if you have the time to tweak and play then great some guys you know just want to get their load and get done and move on and, and work on their other other things that will probably affect their shooting more um, initially, especially as you as your other skills, you know, skill up and get on board and stuff, then perhaps you know it's certainly something that you could, uh, you know, you may need to revisit. Having said that, if you've got the time and you've got the inclination, the interest to to delve into this more and more, and some guys very much are geared that way, then go for it. You know, you 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 will prove to yourself whether or not that's true. Yeah, look, a lot of guys probably, you know, part of the sort of the appeal of of hand loading ammunition is not necessarily all cost or 
all accuracy. It's just that tinkering, you know, trying to get the best you can. And again, you know, if you get a load that's one or two feet a second mm. better on the SD or whatever, is that going to really affect your accuracy? It's well, unlikely can, to. Yeah, if you can't shoot well off a barricade and you're shooting PRS, then probably not. But if well, you can, I mean, if if you can you, do those things well. Yeah, look, you'd have. I mean, it's quite easy to run the figures through you know, programs like Applied Ballistics and mm. go, all right, what actual difference is this going to have on target? Mm. At you know the size of the targets you're shooting, the ranges you're shooting, you're shooting PRS, and you and you get an improvement of two feet a second. It's probably not going to have any noticeable effect at all. Yeah, but it may give you that confidence, I guess. Yeah, yeah, or, you, know you, you know your load sorted. Yeah, you know it mm. takes that away from it. Like you know, well, great, is this going to hit? You know where I want to because. It, you know, it's inconsistent or whatever. Or if, you know, you want to smash a rabbit at a mile, for example. <laughs> Who would want to do that? Stupid people. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, something like that, you go, well, every bit of <clears throat> performance gain you can get as mm. far as you know, consistency. Yeah, lowering that better. ST. So, yeah. yeah, well and truly. Certainly I'd say, yeah, absolutely go for it. Mm. Like, you know, if you've got the time. A lot of guys are time poor. You know, yep. Both of us certainly are. Yep. But it, it doesn't mean that if I had the time, I wouldn't go down this line. Yeah. I enjoy that kind of thing. Um, Whereas I'm, I'm perhaps more inclined to get a good load that's running well and then spend time practicing barricades or watching the wind or do these sort of things, which yeah. um, you, you need certainly as you go higher and higher in terms of skill and ability and stuff, you need both. Um, you know, oh, the yeah. guys at the top are, are, yeah. have got both and, and working on both consistently. And and on your way through, um, you will probably find wind reading and and well, we, we always come back to these sort of discussions, but you know, these other bits skills will probably pay dividends quicker. Uh, but if you've got the interest in doing what you're doing, Darren, then yeah, run with it, go with it, and uh, it's not gonna it's not gonna hinder you. Just don't. I do see guys get bogged down in that and get frustrated by it, and and start thinking, oh, it's not all perfect. I I, I can't yeah. do the other bits and pieces. Don't let this get in the way of the other stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Don't use, and don't use this as an excuse as to why it's not. Look, I've seen articles written by guys, you know, um, offhand I can't recall names, but, you know, experienced shooters. Greg? Well, he just gets people to write them for him. Um, <laughs> but and, and the general consensus is, you know, for for the PRS practical type sort of shooting competitions, pick a load that, you know, the difference between, say, a, a 0. 0.3, 0. 0.4 of an inch capable load and a 0. 0.1 of an inch capable load, is that going to affect you in these competitions? when you're shooting from barricades or unsteady positions, it's not. That's not going to be the difference between what you hit and, and miss, really. In in many circumstances, uh, I think you're right. There, there will be times where that more accurate setup will, will yeah, pay it, dividends. But yeah. as alluded to before, that's really the guys who are right on the edge. And, and as the distances creep out, that will become more important. Yeah. But as general advice, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grab a gun. Even a gun that's shooting one MOA, you can you can upskill real quick by learning your wind and learning your yeah. uh, your positional stuff. Yeah, and I think quicker. and I think you know, um, given that Darren's here in Australia, we are unfortunately very limited, mm. regularly limited on what powders are available. So, you know, mm. one of the probably the biggest consideration, I guess, would be to find something that you can actually access as well. Yeah, true. Don't get something too flash and fancy that you can't actually get a, a hold of, which like, has happened to all of us. Oh yeah. <laughs> Consistently, yeah, oh, good. Anyway, Darren, I think we uh, we either confused or uh, answered your question. One of the two, probably both. Hopefully both. That's what we aim for here. So, Andrew, while we don't have Greg here yet, 
Uh, I thought we'd talk about guns because he, he doesn't really know too much about that side of things. He just pays people to learn it for him. That's exactly right, mate, and pays someone to shoot. And, I mean, all his all his thermal stories, really, I mean, he's not the one pulling the trigger. He's sitting in the car drinking. That's what we don't actually say, but um, that is the truth. I've been out with him and, yeah, you've been out with him. He made you pull the trigger, didn't he? Yeah, he couldn't um, even be bothered getting out of the car. No, nah, I'm surprised he drove there. So I, I, He didn't. <laughs> he didn't make you drive. Flew. Got an Uber. Flew. Uber helicopter. The questions I have for you, Andrew, tonight is I'm going to have to make a decision about a barrel. And there is probably more considerations and some people sort of give credit for as to what, you know, which path to go down. Now, uh, old mate Greg uh, has, he actually... He actually declined coming in for this particular episode because he didn't want to bring up the sore points of the twist rate. He's probably still pouting about that. He he very much is. So if you are not familiar with that because you've joined us in the last like 60 episodes, uh, he bought the wrong – no, he he had some issues with his twist rate. We'll leave him at that. Uh, He didn't – he was upset about it uh, early days and if you go back to episode probably like four or five or something like that, he was – uh, cursing, uh, cursing people for his uh, twist rate. So twist rate is obviously a, a very important consideration. What, what's to we'll start with twist rate? What twist rate am I going to be looking at for the gun I'm, you know, building a six five Creedmoor or, or six five something? But Creedmoor seems to still be the one that's out in front. Yeah, well, I think I mean it, it doesn't matter what cartridge you're using. Really, you, you need to pick. I think what is going to be the maximum length and weight bullet you're going to be running because you obviously, you know, when it comes to the twist rate itself, it's obviously you need to have enough to stabilise mm. what you're doing. Now, obviously, Greg didn't achieve that with his rifle. He was close, <laughs> uh, but not quite No, there. No cigar, but he could have gone to Puro Trader. Yeah, but didn't know about it back then, though, did we? <laughs> no, I didn't know. It's fresh, fresh. So I think the first thing you've got to do is just go, right, well, what is the, the heaviest, longest bullet you're going to be using? Mm. And because then that will dictate, you know, obviously yep. for for the longer, heavier bullets, you generally need to spin them faster. Yep. Um, having said that, you know, if you've got – you run with, say, an eight-twist barrel, it, it doesn't preclude you from using lighter bullets. Mm. Generally speaking, you won't really suffer in inaccuracy or whatnot. You, you might. I have seen it a couple of times with really fast-twist barrels that don't shoot light bullets well. Okay. But generally speaking, it, it's not so much of a big deal. So if I'm looking at potentially running the 147s from uh, from Hornady or the 150s from Sierra, I would am have I to, looking like a 117, 17.5? Offhand, um, I haven't looked at those two particular bullets. I mean, I'm more of a 6 mil guy. But um, generally speaking, you know, projectile manufacturers will, will list you a a recommended twist rate. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, if you were going to go, okay, the heaviest you were going to run was going to be the 150, for example. Yep. I would presume Sierra would would have a recommended. Yeah, we go, 7.5 or faster. Yep, they're a 7.5 twist or faster. And am I going to – do you think I'm safe enough if I do a 7.5? Seven, seven Is that going to cover me for, like, if I decide to run, like, a 130 in it? It should be fine. Um mm-hmm. it, What's the sort of lightest bullet weight in 6.5? Would it be maybe 
an 85 yeah, or something like that? Yeah, you can get 85s, but I've got no intention of running that. It will be either in sort of the 130 mark, I suspect, yeah. where, you know, we're, which makes a lot of sense for the comps that we're seeing at the moment where you're talking 500 metres or thereabouts. You just get there as quick as you possibly can. The BC yeah. is not such a big deal uh, versus, you know, some stuff where, you know, we've got the opportunity to shoot further if we, yeah. if we choose to in, in some private locations and some new ranges being built. So I don't want to... You know, hamstring yourself, yeah. Mm, I want to be able to run like a 150 or 147. Um, yeah, look, yeah. I mean, given that, I would say if you were to go a seven and a half, you should be fine for those 130, 140 grain projectiles, no problem. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I, th- I think if you're going to possibly run that bullet, you need to make sure you're going to be able to stabilize it, the 150. Yeah, yeah. and the, look, the 147s do seem to generally stabilize in a one and eight. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, having that extra half an inch, I think. Uh, is probably it's probably not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. an extra half inch here and there is always, uh, yeah. So I've heard. Mm. So mm. I've heard. Yes, mm. but so, I mean, I think, you know, that's a fairly easy parameter to nail down. Yep. And say, all right, well, if you, if you want to run that projectile or possibly run that projectile, you need to be able to stabilise it. You need to go seven and a half. Mm. Okay. Um, so I guess that's probably the pretty the easiest part to nail down, really. Sure. All right. Well, then, what what's next? Am I deciding uh, profile? What's yeah, considerations look, I, to taking it for profile? I would I would firstly consider. Well, I mean, you got to look. I look at weight. What do okay. you want it to weigh all up? Hmm. Um, because obviously, if you you have a weight sort of parameter you go well i mean i think in, is there a weight limit in prs or not there is no weight limit in prs yeah and but i mean you don't want to run you know 50 pound cannon around <laughs> well that could be a different division could cannon be. class in prs that are you listening special uh, we want a cannon class in prs let's do that run some 10 pound field guns <laughs> but um, i think um you know, sort of the way I would approach it would be, I was, I'd say, I was right, literal cannons. So was I, like good. ten pounders, like you know. Ah, yes, good. All right, fire a ten powder. pound projectile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good. But uh, no, I would, I would look at, um, sort of working out what the all all up weight that I want to achieve would be, approximately. Okay. I mean, that... given that you're not tied to a specific limit, mm-hmm. it's not critical. But if you go, all right, I want to be running a fourteen pound rifle, no heavier. Yep. Well, I reckon I've got. Uh, currently, yeah, now the, the, there's numbers and, and words and bits and pieces associated with all these profiles, and they do vary from manufacturer to manufacturer, which makes it challenging, one, for a bloke like me to actually remember what I've got on the barrel uh, currently on one of the guns currently. But uh, I know a, a Sendero or Rem Varmint mm-hmm. sort of profile is fairly common. Yep. And I probably want to step up a little bit from that, but mm-hmm. whatever I've got, I've got like a... Um, I'm going to get the numbers wrong whichever way I go, so I won't delve into them. But I've got a fairly large barrel, my 260, and it's probably bigger than I really want. Yeah, that's a truck axle on that thing. Mm. That'd be sort of a number 10. You know, and number 9 rings a bell, um, but it's a Lilja barrel, so I'm not sure yeah. where that's on their, their scale of things. So, yeah. Having seen that barrel, that that is a big yeah. big barrel. Um, so I'm, I'm probably going to sit somewhere in between, and, and it's not necessarily the weight. Like I, I haven't got a... a like an ideal weight to to go in one. Mm. I also don't know what stock or chassis I'm going to put this in. So that's pr- perhaps this is a a, a decision to be made uh, as things progress uh, with that you know that aspect of things. But um, the 
the profile is probably in terms of, from a balance point of view, I'm, I'm thinking not quite a Sendero um, rim varmint sort of setup, probably a little bit heavier than that. Yeah, look, I mean, I've, I've actually gone through this with a couple of rifles I'm, I've got in the works at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and for different reasons, I've sort of gone with different options on those two rifles. But the profile that I like and will be ordering for my 6x47 when mm-hmm. I rebarrel it is a medium Palmer profile. Okay. Have you got measurements on that that you know of? Offhand, no. That- Basically, the, the Palmer profile has a longer, um, what they call reinforced, like a, a non-tapered section, I guess you'd like, around the, from the chamber end forward. Sure, yep. So and it's a bit it, longer through that part? Yeah. So okay. you've got more weight, I guess, towards the back of the rifle rather than at the muzzle. Mm-hmm, yep. And then the... Well, probably in the centre of the, the oh, yeah. rifle, yeah. Yeah, the over the, the sort of, yeah. Uh, yeah, just in front of the receiver. Yep. Um, not a bad thing. Yeah. And then they uh, it, it's a fairly quick taper down mm-hmm. um, and then not a great taper from, from you know, where it start, finishes its taper to the muzzle effectively. Mm, so now fairly aggressive at, you know, once you get past yeah. the – what's that part Reinforce. Called? The reinforce part. There's a name for it though. Oh, I've heard barrel manufacturers call it different things. Right. So, another one of the terminology where people make up their own. Yeah. Yep. So – and then, and then, sort of fairly mild as it goes out. Yeah, and look, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Anybody listening? But I think, like the Palmer shooting, was has traditionally been, um, you know, full bore, you know, mm-hmm. three hundred eight rifles, and they're you know slung. They're not on a rest, and you know, traditionally with the uh, sounds, sounds aperture right. sight. So in that kind of setup, balance and, and weight distribution is fairly Probably important. Critical. Yeah, and for for different reasons, but for the same outcome. It's probably fairly important for the PRS kind of shooting. Mm. You need a balance rifle. You can't have a massive muzzle-heavy, you know, bench rest gun. Yeah. Well, you could, but it's going to hamstring you. Yeah, that's right. It's all compromises. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, I like that there's multiple mm. variations on that, on the Palmer profile as well. Okay, um, yep. You know, there's light, medium, you know, and heavy Palmer. I mean, and different manufacturers do have slight uh, variation dimensions on it. Yep. So, you know, depending on however you want to go really but i've settled for my six mil build i'll be ordering a, a medium palmer okay yep and and so for me that sort of that fits in it's probably similar for what you're mm. looking at doing um and given that your weight's not critical i mean then the next thing i would look at is how long do i want it to be yeah just back on the on the profile side of things so for, for others perhaps tracking with the discussion but not necessarily going down the exact same path, the benefits of a heavier, like a, you know, why are we having this discussion about a compromise between a heavier barrel and a, and a lighter? Obviously the lighter seems better because it's, it's lighter weight and easier to carry around. But, you know, we know there's advantages for the heavy barrel. So for, for those playing along at home, you know, we, we find that the heavier barrel is more rigid. Yeah, look, they are, and generally speaking, you know, more rigid, also easier to hold steady mm-hmm. i think yep um but also they heat up slower so mm-hmm. if you're firing strings of shots you will i mean obviously as the barrel gets hot yep. the actual bore dimensions change i mean metal moves when it heats yep. so that's a consideration and so generally speaking if you were to take a, a you know drinking straw weight barrel that wouldn't be allowed in california these days would it then ban drinking straws but <laughs> they don't um, keep up with with much going on in California these days. Oh, yeah, probably not missing a lot. <laughs> but um, <laughs> missing, so, missing know, lots I don't care about. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, quite often you would find, you know, if you're firing a, a, a long string of shots and that little barrel is getting hot quickly, you will regularly get point of impact shift. Gotcha. Yep. You know, so for a mountain hunting rifle where you might fire a couple of shots and that would be it, um, great. You don't necessarily need or get any benefit out of going with the mm-hmm. truck axle. Mm-hmm. But and, and so obviously that's a big advantage for these competitions where you might be firing not heaps and heaps of rounds, but certainly more than one or two. So mm. you know, to me that it's that compromise of having as much weight in the barrel to reduce that point of impact shift and keep your stability and rigidity there. Yeah. yeah. But obviously you can't go too heavy, otherwise it makes it unmanageable. So mm. it's that that compromise there. And also, you know, if you were to go, you need to kind of work out like what I sort of started talking about was of length. Yeah, you have yeah, to have that's going to add weight. Yeah, you know, you have to have a, a velocity aim. Like what mm. sort of node you kind of think you might be aiming at. Um, yep. If you go too short, you're obviously going to struggle to to reach the higher speeds. Mm. You go too long, and you lose rigidity. You get much more. I guess whip is a a term I've heard used. Yep. But certainly like you will get a lot more resonance in the barrel, you know, with a really long, mm. you know, whippy barrel. So yeah, okay. it's always a compromise between, you know, length, weight, you know, profile overall. Yeah. So I think that's where for, for a gun that you're not necessarily going to be lugging up mountains all day, every day, but a gun that you're going to be moving with a bit. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, that, those Palmer profiles, I think, fit the bill pretty well. Probably, probably sensible one. It's, mm. it's not the first time I've heard that that particular profile suggested as well. Yeah. So, in terms of length, what are our deciding factors there? Well, I mean, I guess it depends as well on on what you want to achieve with it. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I'm building a two two three, and prime sort of role for that will be you know be used for night shooting a lot out of the window of a car. Yep. Um, and you know when my children are of sufficient age teaching them the you know to, to sort of handle that and so i don't want anything too big and cumbersome so i've sort of settled on i'll be running that at probably no more than 20 inch finished okay. but you know yeah, that, right. that will hamstring velocity a bit i don't have a particular goal in mind for velocity so that's not really a big concern but say with what you're doing yep i would look at um if you've got access to quick load mm-hmm. narrow down say all right with this projectile, I'd really like to be able to achieve, you know, whatever quick load will recommend you, yeah, where you you should be able to find accuracy nodes. So, you know, you need to be able to then work out: Am I going to be able to achieve it with, you know, a twenty inch or twenty two mm. inch or twenty four inch or whatever it might be? Yep. So, you know, I think you you're probably best to start with working out what kind of range you want to be able to hit with it. Yeah, and that yep. will then dictate whether you're going to be able to achieve that with... With the barrel that we're talking about. Yeah, look, I'd like to go as short as I can, you know, but being able to maintain what I want to achieve with it. Mm, well, so, Sean, Sean Milner lives by that principle, actually. Well, I mean, you, he's, you can't pick on the disabled. <laughs> he's not left-handed. He's just short. Yeah, <laughs> similar effect, really. So in terms of length, I mean, the other the flip side of that is I'm not going to be running a PRS gun with a 30-inch barrel, though. So if 30 inches Correct. is is going to be where it says, oh, you'll, you'll, you'll hit your magic numbers at 3,199 feet per second, being 3,200 the limit, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to take that compromise of getting that 
uh, velocity because that's just too too big a gun. Yeah. There's there's a practicality of it. You're talking about you know a night gun down a twenty inch. You're doing that obviously because it's nice and easy to move yeah. around. And so the same is true. And and I remember years ago, back before there was Paris in this country, and and um, or well before that, and before we were doing any sort of shoots here, I built a twenty inch gun on the idea that it you know needed movement. Now I then compromised uh, a reasonable amount in velocity. Um, but it still worked, you know, still achieved the, the goals that I was after there. And it was, you know, it's a, a nice little gun to be able to flick into sort of all sorts of spots and very, very sensible to use. It's just some idiot decided to do it in a 300 wind mag and really hadn't, didn't, didn't know enough to realize that wasn't probably ideal uh, for the type of stuff we were doing. But anyway, that's, uh, that's, you know, <laughs> we live and learn. So, yeah, the length side of things. I, I see, you know, commonly in the, in the US for the Creedmoor at the Pyrrhus over there and, and commonly here as well, actually. The 24s to 26 inches is really where it sits. Yeah. I think that's you know, gives you that compromise between being mm. long enough to attain the, the velocities you need but not being too unwieldy. Yeah, and I swinging think... Swinging around barricades and whatnot. Yeah, that's right. And, I'm, you know, I'm six foot one and so, you know, a, a heavier gun and big bloke and... Heavy guns, not as big an issue. We can still manipulate it there. It's not like I'm, I'm trying to try and struggling to pick it up. So going to probably a twenty six is is probably no issue yeah. um, there. But yeah, you know, I certainly have seen stages where guys their gun setups, you know, the length of their gun has affected how well they could shoot that stage. There was a particular one at the um, the Winter Classic Ignition Custom Winter Classic in Bucken that the guys had to get inside of a box. There's a history to why that was, but they uh, and and really that often not only the, well the gun dimensions had a big deal, a uh, bit to do with that. The shooter dimensions also had a fair bit to do with that. Some of the smaller yeah. shooters might have done a bit better, but the yeah overall it was um yeah it was certainly a, a factor. Um, if you got you got to look at, at how often you're going to mm. shoot stages where that is a big concern. That's um, the thing is that a gun like this has to be so versatile because you never know what you're going to encounter. Yeah, it's it's a compromise. And if you were to go, right, I need to to build this barrel length around fitting in a box, well, <laughs> you would cut it at 16 inch and then it'd be great for that stage, <laughs> but you'd be hamstrung yep. at every other stage. So yeah. it's a matter of weighing up mm. percentage of use. Yeah, balances, so yeah. I would think somewhere in the 24 to 26 would be probably about ideal. Mm. Absolutely. Whereas if you were doing like a, a really long range gun and trying to get as, as far as you can, are we like, is there a simple equation as the longer the barrel, the better? Or is there a, there's a sweet spot, isn't there? Yeah, look, there can be. And, and there generally is, you know, mm. uh, different projectiles also. Some will have, you know, yes, you can push them faster, but you will not get the accuracy out of pushing them faster. And it's just projectile design factors yep. there. Yep. And, you know, there's also other factors. Like I've played around with, with larger bore, real yep. long range stuff, and often you're running thirty four inch plus barrels that are big barrels. You know they're sort of well over an inch at the muzzle, mm. and often starting out at sort of one point three five inch at the sort of chamber end. You're talking about a really heavy barrel, and you know some of these guys now with the you know the, um, the king of two mile type events, they're running forty inch plus barrels. Um, yeah, and, it, you know, a barrel that heavy, you, it sort of forces you to reevaluate things a bit because if you're hanging that. Look at yourself, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Long, hard look at yourself. Yeah. What am I doing with a stupid 50-pound <laughs> gun? But, you, you know. 10-pound cannon, that's the way, the future? It is. 
just need a couple of horses to pull it around the, the event. But, you know, like a gun, once you start getting Great really, really heavy. A, Chinook. a fleet of them. <laughs> sure. Sure, why not? But so, like a really heavy barrel. I like it when he's not here. <laughs> It's even better when he is because looking at the face, <laughs> facial expressions when we, when we rip into him are great. Yeah. But, but, I mean, you've got a barrel that's super heavy mm. and you're hanging that off a conventional action and floating the barrel. You, you can create a lot of stress because you mm. man, imagine the amount of weight you're pulling down off the front of the action. Yep. So when you get up to those extreme levels, a lot of guys use barrel bedding blocks. So that's so like a support partway down the stock? or what's No, it? no. Effectively what it is, it's imagine a – a block split in two halves mm-hmm. with a hole through the middle, clamp screws down either side. Yeah, right. That sits in the st- in the sort of the, the forend channel, yep. barrel channel, and your barrel is actually through there and clamped, and your action floats. Hmm. So your action's not touching anywhere. There's no stress on the action. It's all okay. in the barrel. So that's I pretty, have seen them actually. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty common with really heavy guns. So okay. you know there is that limit of these- how. They use them on rail guns and stuff, yeah, don't they? Yeah, 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 yeah rail guns. Are, but as well, a lot of these, this King of Two Mile stuff. Okay, guys they are do using, a lot of that. Yep. Yeah. Um, just from the fact of, you know, even if you go with a larger diameter thread on your action and longer thread, you're still hanging it off the front of your action. Mm. So um, there is always that limit of practicality versus, you know, gain in performance. Yep. And given that you are limited on your caliber and velocity for PRS, it takes a lot of that out of the equation. There's no point having a 30-inch barrel chasing velocity because you can, yeah, you can you kind gotta, of hit the speeds hit that, you need without doing it. Yeah, and yeah. not be able to lift the damn thing. Yeah, and then not be able to fit in your box. Mm. <laughs> That's right. Where left-handers and small people belong. <laughs> and Nick. Yes. <laughs> so with length, though, and, and you know, obviously built, having built guns um, – when I, when I order a barrel, I need to order oversize or specify a finish length, don't I? Because they, they, they take, you know, lop some off um, during the process. Yeah, look, most of the time you'll you specify a finish length. Okay. Yep. Because most manufacturers will recommend you take an inch off the muzzle. Mm-hmm. And as far as I'm aware, that's basically the, the process of, um, you know, of the rifling process and, you know, when they uh, lap and whatnot. Yep. Just allows for you know, slight imperfections at that end where the tool's coming in and out. Okay, gotcha. So on a really quality barrel, it's you could probably run it full as it's supplied yeah, pretty okay. much. But like the manufacturers say, they can't, – Can't hurt to take a bit off. Well, I mean, that's why they they say allow – if you want it to finish at 24, yep. we'll supply it at 25. Yeah, okay. Give you some working room. Yep. Hmm. So – and then, I mean, it, it well, depends. You, you can always cut it down, can't you? You can always bring it down. It's harder to – Staple it back on. True, true. Unless you've got fluting or you're running a carbon barrel or something. So, yeah, okay, fine. Just ruin my argument. Yeah, <laughs> shot it out the water. <laughs> Didn't take long. Never usually does. No, so I mean, it, yeah, you you do. If you're not going to run a fluted barrel, you do have a bit of uh, leeway. Really, you're always best to go on slightly on the longer side because you, as you said, you can lop it down. But mm. um, yeah, so that I mean, mm. you, you're not really a big fluted barrel person, are you? No, have had have had fluted barrels. Um, well, that's probably another another discussion to have in the in the barrel context. Like the benefits of fluting barrels, from from my limited understanding, is that you get a reduction in weight for the same rigidity. And then now that that's the core reason, as as far as I'm aware. Now there, there's talk about them. Um, 
dispelling heat quicker because they've got yep. larger surface area as well. Yep. Um, the heat obviously still has to transfer out and you cover the distance to get to the flutes, which is shorter because they can get to it quicker. Uh, but the the rigidity for the same weight, so obviously not the same overall profile. The same overall profile, if it was forward, it would be more rigid. Yeah. But for the you know, if you're going to take off 100 grams um, versus a barrel that was that 100 grams lighter anyway, uh, you, you'd end up with something more rigid from the, the design. Yeah, those the things you mentioned there certainly valid. I I had fluted barrels, but I the last few that I've ordered haven't been. Yeah. Um, I think mainly people do it because of the looks. They like the look yeah, of it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and from a rifle building perspective, it's a it can be a pain <laughs> when people want a flute to time in a certain spot. And yeah, so, okay. So you got a, a you know a flute at the top yep, dead yep, center yep. or whatever. Um, again, I I have used them, but I don't see a real big gain in it mm. because if you were to look at um, you know the weight savings on most fluted barrels, they don't actually take that much out of it. Yep. You know, okay. You, if you were to go a slightly lighter profile, like very slightly lighter profile, you're going to save the same amount of weight. And, you know, it depends yeah. on um, – it depends on how it's done too because I, I'm mm-hmm. not a barrel maker, but from what I understand, you effectively you need to, in an ideal world, uh, stress relieve the barrel after the fluting has been done. Okay. Yep. Whereas I'm aware that a number of barrel people and gunsmiths so-called, will flute, flute <laughs> Tell us barrel. what you really think, Andrew. Oh, I am, don't worry. <laughs> we'll flute the barrel after, after all the heat treating done. And yeah. I have read you know, extensive articles you know, where it, it does, it's not a matter of it might, but it definitely does induce stresses into the metal. Mm, makes sense. So mm. um, I wouldn't bother with fluting, but unless you want, really wanted to, like yeah, the look I, of it. I stopped, I stopped getting it uh, because of the, the dollars. I think just yeah, it's a lot of extra money for what it is. A lot of extra money for not a lot of benefit. I'm not trying to cut the weight down by those sort of amounts. Um, yeah, I. I mean, it does add a fair bit of machining time to to making it. Hence uh, the extra I cost. Understand why it costs more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, guys like doing. There's so much sort of cool looking stuff that can be done now with mm. with fluting. It's not just straight lines anymore. So. Yeah, you, yeah. If you yeah, want a, a particular look, then you know, go for it. But and I've got a, of my twenty two to fifty has got the the flutes a different colour to the the rest of the the mm-hmm. barrel, and they do look good. And they're actually really sharp flute. There's a Lilja barrel in there. Mm-hmm. Actually, really quite sharp uh, flutes on them. And but yeah, real real nice. Looks great. But you know, again, it's just it's, it's more money for yeah. for that. Doesn't perform any better or worse. Yeah, I mean, look, it's one of those things. I I agree a hundred percent. And generally speaking, I would say it's not worth the money, but then again, I've just, well, I said, I spoke to you before we started, I'm <laughs> trying to order a, a proof barrel, yeah, you know, carbon barrel. So I'm effectively paying twice what I would for the equivalent qualities, you know, conventional mm. barrel. So, but is that like, there's a definite saving in terms of weight in the carbon barrel. Oh, yeah, versus yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's dramatic. Like yeah. fluting is only taking off a, a small yeah. amount. And, and yeah. we, we know to get stuff lighter, you've got to pay huge amounts more to, to do so. And and so that, that makes sense. So, you know, it may feel that you're paying a lot more for, but you do get a lot of benefit. Yeah. Yeah, but you pay a lot more for it, whereas the fluting you pay a chunk more with only a minor 
yeah, correct. Than the, correct. Bar visually, so yeah, look, I, I don't see anywhere near as much fluted barrels as I used to. Yeah, um, yeah, I think people are making those decisions. Yeah, especially if you start going through a few barrels, if you're shooting lots of comps and lots of rounds, and you start running through a barrel a year or barrel every two, two years, it's it's added. Yeah. Real added cost. And yeah. I got uh, the weight saving aspect. I don't think is so relevant really for this kind mm. of shooting because mm. you. You know, generally speaking, PRS events are dynamic, but you're not covering kilometres at no, a time. You, so you haven't got a limit on you, and you also, um, you know, the, the weight is good because when you do throw that gun in the barricade, you want some weight with it. Yeah, you know, you, you'd actually you're not looking for a real light gun. Yeah, it's not not a you know, ultra light you know rifle you're going to use for chasing tar in the mountains of New Zealand mm. or something. So horses for courses. I'd, give, for, it, for, I'd give it a crack if I got the chance, New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, then again, you you look at the well, long range shooting in New Zealand is pretty popular. Yeah, long range hunting, mm. and you know, by sort of requirement, really for the sort of performance you need, mm. some of those rifles are getting heavier than you would have seen years ago. Yeah, true. So, mm, absolutely. Mm. Excellent. Well, any other topics on barrels we need to we need to cover off? Well, I mean, we could go on. For, yeah, more episodes really, but <laughs> yeah, we could. I mean, it's one of those things. You, like we briefly spoke about before the show, there is a multitude of manufacturers that produce excellent yeah. quality barrels. That's probably a fair point. Yeah, and there are so many varieties and variations on how they do it. As far as you know, there's there's really only a few different steel types they use generally. I think, mm-hmm. um, but as far as rifling, like rifling is not just rifling yeah there's so many variations on how they do it and there's two main ways it's it's done isn't it yeah they, there's cut rifling and, and button rifled yep is there any others maybe um okay. that's that's the, the the main methods they're the two common yeah yeah, yeah. so generally speaking oh so there, there is another hammer forged yeah, forging yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I mean, Lithgow do. Yeah, and and look, that's that's reasonably common. I, I believe Steyr do that yep. in their rifles. Yep. You know, it can be done. It's not generally considered super accurate. Mm-hmm. It, it produces smooth barrels, really smooth barrels that don't tend to foul a lot. Yeah, but actual dimensional accuracy is not as good as a, a really good cut rifled or a button rifled barrel. I believe. Yeah, so we we when we when we went over to Lithgow and had a little look around, they they did run us through like the way it was done and the way it's done now, and and also they can do it to different spec. Oh yeah. So they can they can do it so they can pump them through for like a machine gun or something like that that they just need to need to make the barrel work, versus you know their you know the the ones they're doing for the one hundred fives and such, which they obviously were demanding a higher level of accuracy for. Yeah. And they you know they slow the thing down and they. I don't know the details of it. I can't remember now, but um, where they pound it harder or longer or slow it down or whatever they do, but they can get actually really uh, high levels of tolerance um, in there. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I I don't doubt that. And I said I've I've I'm not a barrel maker. I have a basic understanding of the of how they're made, mm-hmm. um, and I certainly from what I gather, it's not necessarily how it's made as to how it's going to perform. It's had the care taken with it like i've seen um mm-hmm. you know the cut rifling method for example the the machines predominantly that are used are uh, pratt and whitney machines which are often okay. quite old mm. and i've seen two different types of barrels or two barrel manufacturers using effectively the same machines mm-hmm. produce absolute opposite ends of the spectrum barrels 
as far as okay. one will produce you know, beautiful, smooth barrels that are perfect. The other will be quite rough. And so it's really how they set them up, the time they take with it. Yeah, and just yep. and, and care yep. they're taken with, you know, sharpening, having the you know the cutting heads sharp and how many how many barrels they do offer. Yeah, you know, yeah. D- depth of cut and and then the time okay. they're taken to lap them and whatnot. So there's mm. it, it's predominantly, I think, in the care taken in finishing the barrel because uh, you know, same goes with button rifled barrels. Mm-hmm. It's you know not that difficult. To, if you wanted to go and get the barrel making machines set up and make them, but there's a big difference between doing that and having barrels that are going to really perform. Mm, yep. So, you know, I've had and still do have cut rifled barrels and I've got button rifled barrels. Lilger, yep. I believe, are all button rifled and they're equal to anything I've ever used. Yeah. Um, so, you know, th- that side of it, I don't think I, I wouldn't let it bother you. Um, Madco use button rifled barrels mm-hmm. and, and they're Australian company and they make you know, top grade barrels, Bentrest grade barrels. Yep. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily let that be an issue. But there are, sure. are other things like, you know, the actual type of rifling. Are you going to go with conventional form or, or 5R or yeah. canted lands or, you know, how many lands and grooves? There's, I mean, you could – you could talk about it ad nauseum and not necessarily come to a conclusion that one's better than the other. That's that's the thing on on you know the, the questions like I've got some three um, three groove ones at the moment and mm-hmm. and they've been great. I've had fives, I've had sixes and fours. Yep. And I can't tell the difference in how they perform. And I remember I remember seeing an interview. There's a really good interview with John Krieger, mm-hmm. uh, and that's from. Long Range Shooters of Utah, uh, Bryce interviewed them, which we actually talked about on this podcast when Bryce came on this podcast. But the interview with John Krieger, and I, th- I think this, to, to very much paraphrase what he said, was uh, people use what they want, they will work, and they'll work well. well. That's the thing. If the barrel is made well with care. Yeah, g- generally uh, Kriegers yeah. do. Mm. Yeah, but even if you were to take, say, a Krieger, a Madco, a Lilja, you, know, yep. uh, you yep. know, a Rock Creek, you know, these top name barrel makers mm. and you were to, to fit them and chamber them in the same way, I, I really don't think you're going to get um, necessarily a performance edge out of any of them. Yep. You know, there is the the claim that cut rifle barrels can give you a longer barrel life. Okay. That's yep. a theory. I haven't heard I, that I don't claim. know if it's a theory. I think it, it may have been verified effectively. Okay. It's minimal and there's so many other very, you know, factors that will change that. Sure. Um. One which I sort of I think is as a bit of relevance is, is Lilja's claim with their three groove barrels that because the mm-hmm. actual land is wider, yep, um, it will burn away less quickly okay. than with narrow, like say a six groove barrel, yeah, which can give you a longer barrel life. Again, mm. the theory of that makes certainly makes sense. It's very difficult to to pin <laughs> your barrel life down to yeah. to that though, yeah. I mean, I've seen tests done where, you know, they'll have two identical barrels and the only varying factor will be how quickly they fire off rounds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not letting a barrel cool has a dramatic effect on barrel life as opposed yeah, to how it's made. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. So I think, you know, in regards to your build, I would say, well, the first thing, the things we discussed, you know, twist, profile, length, they're the big ones. Mm-hmm. 
pick someone you can you can actually get it from. Yeah, that's going to be the thing, isn't it? Find someone who actually meets those particular requirements, and then yeah, as long as it's a a brand that has a re- good reputation, it's probably going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I would say we, we're spoiled for choice now more yeah, than ever as yeah. far as availability and, and yeah, the number of options available. No end of it. Yeah, yeah. So, and and then all the other sort of aspects about the type of rifling and all that. Well. Yeah, I think I'll go with what I, with the, the specs I'm chasing and then whatever type of rifling it is, it is. Yeah, mm. I mean, whatever that maker makes, really. Yep. I mean, I, I, you know, if Krieger, for example, if you're wanting a particular, um, you know, bore size barrel and, you know, you, you want a mm. particular type of rifling, they'll accommodate to a degree, but yep. if it's not something they make, can be harder. Would yeah. I, you know, if I was set on a Krieger, would I let that turn me off? No, I'd just I'd go with what's available yeah. and what they can do. So it's basically whoever sponsors the podcast first. Yeah, Krieger, that's are you right. listening? Or <laughs> literally you can fight over it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's where we're headed, I guess. Uh, wonderful. Until yeah. then, we'll smoke our cigars. Yeah, and let the <laughs> barrels roll in. <laughs> Fantastic. Cool, guys. Well, hopefully that was uh, that was helpful to someone listening. Uh, we will be putting up some some pre-recorded shows from actually from last year. Some shows we did with, well, I did with uh, some 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 regular guests and some new guests uh, chatting about the uh, experiences in shooting and and bits and pieces. Some interesting interviews with uh, with a uh, uh, sort of a, a you know four of us at one time. So that's going to be uh, coming up uh, in the few weeks while I'm because I'm away a little bit, and uh, then we'll be gearing up for a few other shows. Um, if you're not a patron supporter, um, that's absolutely fine. Love having you listen to the show anyway. Uh, we are obviously massive fans of our Patreon supporters because they've allowed us to upgrade our microphones and, and other bits and pieces. So thanks massively to them. If you do enjoy the show and you're happy to swing us a dollar a month or, or more, um, that would be sensational. We certainly appreciate it and does make its way back in the show. We will be announcing a few things for our Patreon supporters uh, at the 100 episode mark as well. So if there's if you're thinking about jumping on board, we've been meaning to, um, now is probably a pretty good time because once we do hit 100, we're going to be announcing a few other bits and pieces for our Patreon supporters specifically. So yeah, just to try and convince you to, to jump on there if you can, it would be, uh, it would be good. Excellent. All right. Cheers, Andrew. We're going to uh, we're going to say goodbye and then record our reading of Rodney Mays. Oh, that's the other thing you get as a patron supporter. You get us. Well, actually, I'm not sure that's a benefit. It is. It's a big benefit. You should <laughs> sign up right now. You get to listen to us uh, continue having some of these beverages that we've got in front of us. Uh, Greg will be joining us, and we will be yelling "Impact" a whole heap. I mean, reading this the book "Impact" a whole heap. May have to edit some impacts in there along the way. <laughs> I'm sure we'll, we'll make the call on a few. Excellent, guys. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you in Darwin at the PRS, or we will see you in WA at the Shot Expo, or we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au.